Last week, we began by looking at uh, the necessity of a literal Israel and the regathering of the people <clears throat> of Israel, um, the miracle of that happening, the, the error of political people today viewing it through the long, wrong lens, obviously. And Israel just being an integral part of prophecy. There's so many prophecies that could never be fulfilled without a reborn Israel because they hinge on Israel. Prophecy, very important uh, to all of us. Look, um, there's at least two reasons why people tend to stay away from prophecy. Um, that's because on one side of prophetic things uh, are the screwballs, uh, the nutcases. And they tend to arise every time there's a COVID, every time there's a, a war, every time anything happens. Jesus said, first thing he warned about last day is don't let anybody deceive you. Because as soon as those things happen and start to happen, then somebody's telling you to donate your savings, to write your house into their name because we're all disappearing you know, <clears throat> in a few weeks and so forth, uh, you, you have you have all of this pressure that comes when COVID happened and we shut down the church for a while. You know, so many of you came back and said, Pastor Joe, did, did you hear what this prophet said or did you hear what this prophet has said? And I'm listening. I have to say, no, that person's nuts. Don't listen to that person. This is crazy stuff. Don't listen to this. You know, one of them was a pastor, you know. There seems like too many people are listening to saying, if you get the COVID vaccine, and we're not pro-vax, anti-vax, that's not my business. My business is the, the vaccination of the blood of Jesus so that you survive the eternal problem that you have. But people were saying, this pastor was saying, if you get the vaccination, now they're finding out it transcribes from your RNA into your DNA. And if that happens, you're no longer human. And the problem is Jesus is a kinsman redeemer and he came to save humans. And if you get the vaccination, you're no longer human and you can no longer get saved. I said, don't listen to that. That guy is nuts. How can you take that seriously? I got the polio vaccine. I got the smallpox vaccine. My wife may think I'm not human, but I'm human. Okay. <clears throat> so you got all the screwy people on one side of prophecy when it starts to happen. Then on the other side, you kind of have the ivory towers, the intellectual people, people who don't see Israel's right place in prophecy. So they kind of see Israel now as an anomaly. It's temporary. It's not going to, they're not going to remain there. Let me tell you something. They're going to remain there. And, uh, and they, they, they don't understand the covenant or they don't want to acknowledge the covenant between God and Israel. And, uh, you know, the, they, they see covenant between God and themselves, but they can't see the major covenant throughout the entire scripture that's described between the Lord and his people Israel, remarkably to me. Uh, so they, they build a different place. Look, <clears throat> we're told this in Second Peter about some of these folks, not all of them. There's not, there are brethren, there's a lot of good ones. But Peter says, for this, they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water 
and in the water, whereby the water, the world that then was, was overflowed with water and perished. Peter says they're going to come mockers in the last day to do the same thing. Where is the promise of his coming? He said, this is nothing new. There were those, you know, who made fun of the end of the world and that world perished in the flood. So we have people today who just stay away from it to be safe. They want to be theologically correct, but they don't want to face the fact that a large part of the scripture talks about the return of Jesus Christ and our blessed hope. And it's so important. Jesus <clears throat> said this to the Pharisees and to the scribes. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting him, desiring him that he would show a sign unto them from heaven. And Jesus answered and said unto them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it it will be foul weather uh, today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, religious people he's talking to, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs, or to discern signs, <clears throat> of the times. So Jesus says, you know, we say red sky in morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. We, we, we know that. And the, basically the idea is you can kind of see the weather in the natural. You see what's going to happen. Some of us are weather junkies. We have to read about the weather. We have to see the weather on our phone. We have to watch the weather on the TV. Then we know whether to wear our rain hat, bring our umbrella, put our galoshes from kindergarten back on our feet. You know, and, and, and we prepare ourselves in the natural by what the weatherman says, who ain't right half the time. But we do know that the scripture is the only reliable source of information about tomorrow. That prophecy is the only thing that accurately foretells what is going to be coming. So there's a balance between the, the, the nutcases and the people that are so stoic, they don't want to touch prophecy because prophecy is important to the Lord, so it should be to us. In Isaiah, now Isaiah is an interesting book because it talks more about the, the rebirth of the nation than probably any book in the Old Testament. In fact, end of 1947, going to 48, a Jordanian shepherd boy down in the area of Qumran threw a stone into a cave and heard a pottery crack. And he went up and found there the Dead Sea Scrolls in these pots so they didn't want to sell those to the Jews. They recognized they were in the, in the Hebrew script. So they went and they took them to New York, put an ad in the New York Times that they were selling ancient scrolls if anybody wanted to buy them. And the Israelis sent a bunch of Jews over to look like businessmen and bought them in New York and brought them back to Israel. <clears throat> and the one complete book in the Dead Sea Scrolls was the book of Isaiah. And the entire scroll from the first verse to the last verse, just the way we have Isaiah today, is spread out there. I've seen it 30 times. Remarkable. And one of the things that Isaiah has to say about prophecy, I'll read a few things. Verse 41, he says, Who hath wrought and done it, 
calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and the last, and me. That's one of the reasons prophecy is important to the Lord, because he's the first and the last. He sees the end from the beginning. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world because the Lord knew the fall of humankind would take place. We would be in the difficult situations that we're in today and that we're his blood-bought children and he wants us home. Our Savior's gone to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. And it's so important to him, prophecy, because it is the thing that tells us that we're coming home. We have a blessed hope. We have something that's an anchor to our soul. Isaiah, again, says this. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, or declare unto us things for to come. Show us the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. In the next chapter in Isaiah, he says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to another Neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Two chapters later, he says, Thus say the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people, Israel, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show us the things that are coming. And then he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So whatever we see happening in the world today around us, Jesus said, and the Lord says, my counsel shall stand. Everybody's prognosticating this might happen, that might happen. Well, who knows what might happen? He knows what will happen. And he's very open with us about that. <clears throat> and prophecy is an important part of our faith. 66 books in your Bible, in my Bible. 62 of those 66 books have prophecy in them. That's 94% of the books in the Bible. The ones that don't have prophecy are Ruth, Song of, Sil Song of Solomon, Philemon, and Third John. The only four books without prophecy in them. King James Bible, which I have, has 31,175 verses. 
I counted them again between second and third service to make sure. Yours is very similar, with, you know, it's within 10 one way or another for some reason. 31,175 verses, 27% of those 31,000 verses are prophecy. That's 8,352 verses in the Bible are prophetic. And 22% of all those verses, of the 8,352 verses, 22% of those are about the second coming of Christ. That's over 1,600 verses in the Bible about what's right in front of us. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was born in Bethlehem and walked this earth for 33 years, in his earthly life, there were 109 prophecies fulfilled about his earthly life. And these things are important to him. He said this in John 13 when he sat at the table with the disciples and he told them Judas was going to betray him. There was one that was going to betray him. And then he said this, Now I tell you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe that I am. King James says he in italics, that you might believe that the name of God I am. All through those verses in Isaiah my glory will I not give to another. I tell you this because so you can believe who I am. No one else can do this. Jesus said, I told you ahead of time. So when it comes to pass, you might believe that I am. Next chapter, chapter 14 in John's gospel. He says, now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So prophecy has a particular influence in our lives, and that is in regards to our faith. It's to encourage our faith. Now look, what kind of world are we living in today? We, we're more exposed to that than any generation that's ever lived, undoubtedly. Matthew chapter 24 says this, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us. When shall these things be? He didn't answer that. And they also said, what shall be the sign of thy coming? He did answer that. And the signs of the end of the age, he told them that. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed. You need to do this. Take heed that no man deceive you. Because there's always deceivers when these things of upheaval take place. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. No other generation that's ever lived has been able to go home and turn on the TV and watch a couple wars going on on the other side of planet Earth, besides our generation. He says here, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you be not troubled. Isn't that something? Because I'm troubled when I watch some of this. Wherever there's abuse and human beings being, being killed, there's something troubling about that. 
but he says, see that your heart is not troubled. His reason for all these things must come to pass. But the end, they had asked about, and the end of the age. He says, but the end is not yet for nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. He says, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Literally, all of these are the beginning of birth pains. You'll only find that word in First Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe, verse 3 as well. He says, he says, there are signs. Jesus reproved the Pharisees and Sadducees because they didn't recognize signs. Look, all of the signs that we see in the world today are signs about what will come. They anticipate the fulfillment of themselves in the tribulation when the church is gone. We're seeing the trickle, the beginning of these things around us. <clears throat> Important to Jesus because he said in Luke 21, verse 28, when you see these things begin to take place, lift up your head for redemp your redemption draweth nigh. When they begin to take place, lift up your head. <clears throat> but all of these signs we're seeing the beginnings. They just anticipate that which is going to take place in the future. Look, wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians, all of that today as we're here this morning is restrained. If you know anybody in intelligence, military intelligence, they will tell you <clears throat> that the whole world is held together with scotch tape and rubber bands right now. It could break loose on a dozen different fronts. It doesn't because right now the Holy Spirit is restraining. He's restraining. So we see the beginning trickles, wars, rumors of wars, <clears throat> famine, pestilence which is literally deadly infectious diseases, earthquakes. Do you see those? There were three people at the last service that saw them. <laughs> They're happening around us. <clears throat> the day is coming when they are released, no longer restrained. Revelation chapter 6, we're told that Jesus allows them to go unrestrained. The first one he warns about here is deception. There he allows the white horse to ride forth, the Antichrist deceiving the whole world. After deception comes war. The black horse then rides forth and there is war. Global. No longer restrained. Of course, what follows war is famine and always has. Then the, 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 the black horse rides the red horse and the black horse. And of course, what's always happened after war, the farmers have been able to plant the next crop and miss a year for the year that will come after that. But Monsanto and these big companies are making the seeds so they're impotent. And you can grow tomatoes and plant those seeds. They will not grow. You have to go back to them every year to buy new seeds, unless you get heirloom seeds. This will be the first generation that sees major war and is unable to plant crops in the year following 
those wars. We're in a very interesting time. And of course, when there's war and, the, and there's famine after war, then because of death, there's always pestilence. There's deadly infectious diseases. And then finally, chapter 6 of Revelation, there's a great earthquake that happens too. It will be unrestrained at some point. What we're watching today is the restrained version. We see the beginning of these signs. But what's most important to you and I is that the rapture is signless. There is no sign and no thing that tells us the rapture is happening tomorrow. We're just told to be ready. Jesus said, be sober, be vigilant, be watching. It's going to be like in a thief in the night. And in an hour you don't expect it, it's going to happen. So we are to live in expectancy. My pastor always used to say, and so do other scholars that I've read, that when you begin to see Christmas lights and Christmas decorations, what you know is that Thanksgiving is close. Right? And we're seeing Christmas lights now on planet Earth. And it's telling us that Thanksgiving is close. We're to be watching. How are we to be living? Again, Luke says, when these things begin to take place, lift up your head, because your redemption draweth nigh. Look, our world, though, is looking down. There are more people in the world today with cell phones than toothbrushes. Go figure. People don't care if their teeth fall out as long as they can see what's going on. They probably don't switch that camera so they can take a picture, smile, and take a picture of themselves. But they don't care because nobody else is looking at their teeth either. They're looking at their mobile device. In the United States, average American is spending five hours a day on a mobile device. Look, Israel's way higher than that. In Asia and in Europe, there are other countries where they're spending more hours on their mobile devices. The average American spending five hours a day scrolling on his mobile device, sometimes while they're walking, jogging, riding their bike. Sometimes it's terrifying while they're driving. You and I know you go to a restaurant, you see a family or a bunch of people sitting together, they're all looking down. They're not talking to each other. They're doing this. Maybe they're texting each other across the table. I don't know. I remember one of the last times I got off a flight from the West Coast, standing at Philadelphia Airport, the baggage claim, and everybody's doing this. I'm thinking, nobody's looking for their bag. I'll be the first one who realizes my bag <laughs> is coming through here. I mean, it's really just remarkable to look and see how glued everyone is to that. In fact, in Philadelphia a couple of years ago, on April Fool's Day, because they were having so many problems with people walking off the curb and falling because they're doing this, or stepping in front of a car, brakes are slamming on, they're getting rear-ended by the car. You know, just crazy stuff. People on their bike not looking, running into pedestrians. So what happened was they put up these, this yellow tape on April Fool's Day. They created lanes for people on their mobile devices so they could walk and not have to worry about the rest of the world. And it was, a, it was done in jest. After April Fool's Day, they took down those lanes, those yellow tapes, and they got so many complaints 
in City Hall that it had to be addressed. And the woman here in Philadelphia, Rena Cutler, who is the deputy mayor of transportation and public affairs, public utilities, what she said is, look, the message is, look up. That's the message, look up. She said, I felt like saying you nitwits, but she said, I knew it wasn't right to call people names. Jesus doesn't call us nitwits, but he says, look up. When these things begin to take place, lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth where Christ sits at the right hand of God. He says, because that's where our life is hid with Christ. And when he comes, our lives will will be in glory with him when he comes. Look, if I don't spend five hours a day on my mobile device, I spend four hours and 45 minutes. You can pray for me. Really, if I spend two hours or I spend an hour, I think how much better would it be for me as a man or a husband or a dad or a grandpa or a pastor if I spent those two hours a day on my knees looking up instead of looking down. But that's the world that we live in. This thing can be a good servant, but it is a cruel master and it is an addiction. And we're living what we see there. We're living in it. We're walking in it. We're breathing it in. It's the last days. We live in a culture that has traded absolute truth for relative truth. There used to be things that were absolutely true. When you, you know, gave birth, you had a boy or a girl. That's relative truth now. Keeping parents out of their elementary school kids' business when elementary school kids want to begin transition is not logical. That's not moral. It's not ethical. It is relative to the culture and to the time. I, I see people in Washington with educations, graduated from law school, Public officials say they can't tell what a woman is. Or that they think a man can give birth. I'm thinking, what? Turn that off. Don't let the children watch that. That's not the sign of somebody who's educated and intelligent. It is the evidence of a feeble mind. Wonderfully, I saw one of the folks in the country running for the Senate now um, at a dairy farm taking some heat from a crowd there that was screaming about gender to this person, this woman. And she turned around and she looked at him and she said, all right. He said, she said, next time you have success milking a bull, let me know, would you please? And she wouldn't, you know, just... Listen, we, we've, we've turned, it's funny in a sense, but it's not. Isaiah again says to us, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, 
Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. That's where we're living. It's going on around us. And Paul told us in Romans chapter 1, what's happening is, and it was happening even in his generation, people are refusing to see what God has placed around them as evidence. That as man looks at creation, looks at the world around him, looks at a baby, looks at a human being, that he can see the, the eternal Godhead, that he can see the power of God, not the gospel, but that in all of that, the creator can be seen. The eternal power and Godhead of the, of the Lord. There's something recognizable that surrounds us that tells us there's design. And if there's design, there's a designer. And Paul says, but be, because they refuse to acknowledge that, they end up given over to a reprobate mind. And you are walking in it. You are breathing it in. You are living in it. It surrounds you every day of your life. And the one great super sign is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. People have come up to me today and said, well, there's always been war. There's always been famine. There's always been deadly infectious diseases. I say, right on. I understand that. And if 80 years ago your grandma wore a, you know, a, bill, a billboard walking down the street saying the end is coming, rightly so, a lot of people would think she was nuts. But there's never been a generation that has faced wars in 2,000 years and rumors of wars with Israel back in the land. There's never been a nation that has faced famine, deadly infectious diseases and earthquakes with Israel in the news every day. The, gay, the great single sign that these other signs are speaking something, anticipating a fulfillment in the tribulation after the rapture, is Israel. Israel sets the stage for all of those things to take place. And no other generation has seen any of those things, which you can say, hey, they've been in every generation. No other generation has seen them in context with the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And so many of the prophecies we're going to look at in weeks to come hinge on the, the relationship of, of Israel to the Lord. Now look, um, unless the rapture happens this week, Don, Don McClure is going to be here next week so he can preach. Even if we're gone, uh, he can do Sunday morning next week. <laughs> but we'll be looking at these things moving forward. You know, at staff meeting this week, we, what we do at staff meeting every week is we kind of talk about, I read the texts that I'm going to go through, and we kind of, with all the pastors, we talk about that for the next Sunday. I want to hear what everybody thinks. I want to hear what's on their heart. I want to, and, it, and it's wonderful for me. I, I jot notes down. It's just great for me to hear from everybody. What a godly group of men and women I get to serve with. I remember years ago when we talked about this staff meeting, Billy Graham was on Larry King Live. And I think Larry King Live really liked Billy Graham. He just didn't know what to do with him sometimes. 
And he happened to ask Billy Graham this time. He said, he said, Billy, do you think that things are worse than they've ever been? And Billy Graham said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Things are worse than they've ever been. And things are better than they've ever been. Larry King said, what, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, the Lord told us that the end of the age is like a man who went and sowed wheat in his field. And then the enemy came at night and sowed tares among the wheat. And the tares grew up with the wheat, and his servants came and said, should we root up the tares? And the owner of vineyard said, no, you might then root up the wheat along with the tares, but wait until the harvest. And he said to Larry King, and at the harvest, the Lord is going to send his angels, and they're going to gather the tares and burn them, and the wheat will be, and Larry King was like, whoa, what about this? Billy changed the subject, you know, you kind of get the heebie-jeebies listening to Billy say that. But he said, you know, he said, but Larry, in context of that, things are better than they've ever been, and they're worse than they've ever been, because right now the wheat is riper than it's ever been, and the tares are riper than they have ever been. That's where we're living. It's happening around us. And we need to live like we believe that. The things in our life, do we need to put them aside? Do we idolize other things? Do we make other things more important than Jesus? More important than the Bible? More important than going to church? Jesus said men would know his disciples by the love we have one for another. Do we make other things more important than people? It's coming down. He's going to be around. You know, I've been torturing myself this week. Torturing my wife a little bit. Uh, watching, you know, the World Economic Forum in Davos. Oh, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And it, it's just so interesting to watch, you know, at the World Economic Forum this week which are all the billionaires from all over the planet who want to scream about us creating greenhouse gases while they fly their jets into their meeting. Uh, these, are, these are people who want us to eat bugs. I ain't going to do it. You know, look, because I know, you know, Bill Gates and the Chinese are buying up more American farmland than anybody and I know that when they want us to eat bugs, they're still going to have steak in their freezer. They ain't fooling me. And if these bug eaters want to eat bugs, they can wait till Revelation chapter 9 and they can fill their stomach at that point, right? But in Davos, and no doubt some of them are sincere, they just have bad company. They're talking this year about disease X and preparing for it. They don't know what it is. So they're calling it disease X. And they said it, it'll probably come in 2024. They don't know when it is. But somehow it's probably going to come. They said it'll be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. They don't know what it is. But it'll be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. And they said they'll have new vaccines ready within 100 days. I feel so much better. Queen Maxima of the Netherlands said this, we need to introduce a biometric digital identity card to track those who have the vaccine and those who are unvaccinated. Tony Blair from England is calling for a digital vaccine 
tracking system. Well, Francis, Pope Francis said, <laughs> he said the World Economic Forum needs to promote a far-sighted, ethically sound globalization. <laughs> and the chairman of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, I just love to say that, Klaus Schwab, uh, he said global governments must harness artificial intelligence so we can become the masters of the world. Some went as far to say that as AI develops, we won't have to have elections anymore because AI will know who the best candidate is and we could just put them in. I'm glad I'll be gone when all this stuff happens. Look, does this freak me out? No, does it freak me out? I know Klaus Schwab's not determined my destiny. He does not freak me out. Eating bugs freaks me out a little. I'm just not going to do that. But Klaus Schwab doesn't, you know, these are people who think they're going to run things. I'm encouraged because the Bible teaches me that all the conspirators are going to get conspirated. Because there's a bigger conspiracy. There's a divine conspiracy. And there is a world leader who make, puts all of them to shame, who is coming, who the Bible calls the Antichrist. Next time we're together, if the Lord tarries, we'll look at that together. And it says the whole world, great and small billionaires, whoever they are, they're going to wander after the beast and receive his mark, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, there's a conspiracy at foot, all right. But there's a greater one. And that is that my Savior and your Savior is coming at a moment that we don't expect it, in an hour we don't expect it, in a suddenness that's like a thief in the night. He is coming to airlift us out of here. The great, the great escape. Get the book. That way you can leave it for people, because after we disappear, any of your friends that see that title in The Great Escape, they're going to read it. That's the, the long way around the barn, but they'll read it. And this is what's important for you and I, I think. Do you see Christmas lights? Do you see the signs? Wars, rumors of wars, famine, past life. You see the beginning of them. You see them eking out. We live in a culture with media... You see the immorality. You see the lack of ethics. You see the corruption. You see the war. You see the bloodshed. You see the famines. You, you see the deadly infectious diseases, the pandemics. You see the earth. There's never been a generation who's been able to see. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Listen, these are the Braxton Hicks contractions. Some of you ladies are shaking your heads. My wife and I did this four times gave birth. She did most of the work, but I was involved. And there's no point along the way she said, oh, oh honey, you know, I think these are Braxton Hick. And I said, honey, this is a psychological pregnancy. You don't have, yes, you're showing, but you've been eating too many donuts. You're showing, that's what's going on here. You're crazy to think you're pregnant. I never did that because I wanted to live. 
But there are people doing that today. You're crazy if you see the birth pains, if you see these things beginning, if you see just the Braxton Hickson. We won't be here when it's full-blown. The, the, the trickles we're seeing today only anticipate the fulfillment of those things. What's important for you and I is, do you see the Christmas lights? Because if you see the Christmas lights, then you know Thanksgiving's coming. And when that trumpet blows, you're going to see a Thanksgiving like you have never, ever seen before. Amen? We stand around the throne of our King with our hearts filled with a thankfulness we didn't even know that we could experience. He's coming. He's coming. Prophecy, extremely important. One out of four verses in the Bible, not in the Bhagavad Gita, not in the Upanishads, not in the Quran, nowhere else, in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, God said, if somebody prophesies and it doesn't happen just the way I said it, they said it, take them out and stone them. Because when I give somebody a prophecy, it actually happens. We don't do that anymore. Obviously, we don't stone adulterers anymore. We don't stone kids disobedient to their parents anymore. All these people can get saved now. We understand that. But prophecy important. It's the only reliable source of information, the true reliable source of information we have about tomorrow and about the future. The world's telling us all kinds of things. We can't live with our heads facing down. We have to lift up our heads. Because our redemption has drawn nigh. Let's stand. Let's worship. And look, I encourage you. If somebody drug you out here this morning, there's only a couple things you can think. One is, this is a big cult. (laughs) Think that if you want to think that. Or I knew my uh, relatives were nuts going to this place up the old meter factory. Or hopefully you're just thinking, rut row. You know. Uh, 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 this sounds too real. I, I see this. And it's important to Jesus that you understand that what he said is going to take place. All through Isaiah, everywhere. What I've called is going to happen. That's important to you today if you don't know Christ, because he also said, whosoever will may come. And anyone who comes to me, I'll in no wise cast out. His sins will be forgiven. That word is standing today as a greater as great a reality as prophecy is. If you've never come to Christ, forget about religion, forget about church, forget about Catholic, Lutheran, Calvary Chapel. Do you know Jesus? If you have never come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, not a religion, a relationship, He has forgiven you. He has paid the price on the cross. You need only come and say, I'm a sinner, Lord. I long for your forgiveness. I see the world around me unraveling. And today I'm hearing that you love me, and I have no idea why you ever would. But in faith today, Lord, Jesus, I'm going to come. I know I need forgiveness. And if that's you, you will know that in your heart. No human has to say it to you. And as we sing this last song, 
I'm going to ask you, just get out of your seat and come down here. If a friend brought you, they'll say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read. We don't want anything from you, none of your info. We don't have to get any. We want everything for you. And we're not talking about religion or Calvary Chapel. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him as your savior, as your Lord who's coming soon? If you know you need that, you come today. And for the rest of us, we sing this song. It's a particular song we're going to sing. Sing it with all of your heart. Sing this with all of your heart today, singing to the Lord about his return and how we're looking forward to that. Let's bow our hearts. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here or, or more than one, Lord, or a dozen, Lord, that are not saved, we pray you would draw them, Lord. Your word tells us that you add to the church daily such as should be saved. This is not our work, Lord. You accomplish this. And Lord, so if there's men or women here that are broken, that are desperate, or that, Lord, understand their need, who you have loved from eternity past, would you draw them, Lord, today to yourself, to forgiveness, to your love? And for the rest of us, Lord, as we sing these words, we sing them to you, Lord Jesus. We watch the news. We can't imagine, Lord, a future in this present world, Lord. The blessed hope has become the anchor for our souls, Lord. Come, Lord, quickly, Lord Jesus. Receive our worship now as a corporate prayer. We look to you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. All of creation. Let's sing it out loud to him. Let's sing it with all of our hearts. There will be justice.
So we wait. 